Hello, thank you for listening to the Coal Mine Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas. Today is July 13th, 2020, and today I'll be talking about President Trump's recent pardon of Roger Stone and two reasons why it poses a problem and raises some questions compared to other exercises of the pardon power by other presidents. We've all seen the headlines. Roger Stone was tried before a jury recently as a result of the Robert Mueller investigation of alleged involvement by Russia in the presidential election between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, The accusation, in a nutshell, was that Mr. Stone was not truthful with Mr. Mueller and his investigators during the course of their investigation. He was tried on several accounts of different aspects of that claim and was convicted and had been sentenced recently to roughly 40 months in a federal prison. He was about to report to prison this week when the president exercised his power of pardon under the Constitution and commuted his sentence. Although, as was pointed out in a recent editorial by Mr. Mueller, he does remain, Mr. Stone does remain a convicted felon. He still has that on his record, despite the exercise of the pardon as to the sentence. The starting place in thinking about this, as it often is with this sort of question, is what exactly the Constitution says. Here, we have an unusually clear answer because the Constitution is what creates this power and it defines it with some specificity. It says, the president shall, lists a few other unrelated powers the president has, and at the end of the sentence, it picks back up, shall have power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. In our modern uh, language, we understand that to mean federal crimes, offenses against the United States. There's no presidential pardon power over state crimes. And of course, it does not extend to a case of impeachment of the president himself, but of a judge or something like that before the Senate. There are two ways in which there are no express limits placed on this power in the Constitution, of course. It simply says in the Constitution, he shall have the power to grant pardons. But as a practical matter, there are a couple of uh, customs that have developed around the pardon power that are, are different than what we see in this pardon of Mr. Stone. And those are the two issues I'd like to explore in the rest of this podcast. The first is that this pardon is unusually close in time to the events that, that, that were involved in the underlying federal offense. Uh, the Department of Justice has guidelines that suggest ordinarily you should wait about five years before seriously considering a pardon application. There's a staff of bureaucracy in the White House, an office of pardons that reviews applications for pardons and clemency from all over the country for various things. And to have something come immediately after the proceedings themselves is uh, a little bit in tension with the notion of separation of powers that's not that's spelled out in the structure of our Constitution. Of course, we have three branches of government under the language in our Constitution. Uh, how exactly those branches interact with each other is left open. The Constitution doesn't say a lot about that except to define the area of each branch. But it does seem that if the, you have a judicial branch that handles prosecute that handles the conduct of of legal cases, criminal prosecutions, and there's still room for that procedure to to play out, uh, respect for separation of powers, as a general matter, might suggest waiting until that plays all the way out and everybody in that branch of government has had a chance to do their thing and carry out their responsibilities and then bring in the pardon power under Article 2. That way, the branches are not directly in conflict with each other. 
Here's an example. Uh, Willie McCovey, the great baseball player, was pardoned by President Obama late in life. Uh, he had had some tax problems earlier when he was uh, much younger. He was in poor health, didn't have much longer to live, had, had been a model citizen since those troubles and, uh, and had been an inspiration to a lot of younger people and other players in the league. And with about a year before he passed away, President Obama pardoned him of that crime, and that was largely uncontroversial. The passage of time led no doubt that the judicial process had done everything it was supposed to do, and his own conduct going forward from that moment in his life showed that he was a good citizen and was not trying to get privileges just because he was a good baseball player. Then, of course, there are many other cases of many other situations. That's just an unusually clean example of a pardon that doesn't raise this question about being very close in time, and it's an interesting contrast to what happened with Mr. Stone, where it is very close in time, coming immediately on the heels of sentencing and mere days before Mr. Stone was going to report to the federal prison. That raises the second question. The first question was a closeness issue about time. The second issue is closeness in relationship to the president himself. There are other pardons of figures who have been close to the pardoning president that have raised substantial controversy because of that relationship. Probably the most controversial pardon ever was the pardon of Richard Nixon when uh, Vice President Ford took over after Nixon's resignation. Vice President Ford, then President Ford, said, I'm doing this in the interest of, of stability. The nation needs to move on from Watergate. That was uh, a noble idea. It was very controversial, and it was always a problem in his efforts to seek reelection and run a successful campaign against Jimmy Carter. George W. Bush uh, would pardon Scooter Libby, who was uh, prosecuted for problems in an investigation when he was chief of staff of Dick Cheney. There's a no direct relationship there, but it runs back to his father's administration. And in turn, George H.W. Bush, the elder George Bush, pardoned during his administration certain figures that had gotten into criminal trouble as a result of the Iran-Contra investigation, such as Caspar Weinberger, the Secretary of Defense under President Reagan. Obviously, George Bush Sr. had been vice president during the administration. All of these drew questions and some raised eyebrows because there was some closeness in relationship between the pardoning president and the person who received the pardon, but not anything particularly direct. They were simply had worked together, shared uh, some time together, and that kind of thing. Here, though, the, the alleged crime is that Mr. Stone, or the convicted crime, is that Mr. Stone told lies to benefit the president. It's not a situation where the president has is friends with someone or has a relation or has is a relative of someone and is seen as, is, as doing a favor for that person. Here, the person who has been convicted is someone who allegedly did something for the president himself, not at his direction. There's no evidence of that, but something that was intended to benefit this president directly and fairly recently, just in the last few years in the course of the 2016 election. And in that respect, closeness to the president himself, it is unlike those other pardons that did raise a fair amount of scrutiny in question and raises some additional uh, questions here about whether this is an appropriate use of the pardon power and something that should be repeated. So in conclusion, today on the Coal Mine Podcast, we took a look at President Trump's recent pardon of Roger Stone. We revisited the language in the Constitution on the pardon power, which is clear and relatively unlimited, simply says there is such a power. But looking beyond that language, we looked at custom and practice and some historical examples and saw two reasons why this pardon might be a little more problematic than the more typical one that you see a president do. The first is it's close in time to the actual events. 
the criminal proceeding was still ongoing with potential appeals going forward. The sentencing hadn't even, the, the sentence, service of the sentence had not yet even begun. And the second, there's closeness to the president personally. Some other pardons were controversial because of a relationship between the president and the pardon person. Here, the claim was that the alleged crime actually was intended to benefit the president. That's an unusual level of closeness. And those two factors are something that we should examine as we consider future uses of this pardon power and whether they will draw this similar kind of scrutiny or whether they will tend to move towards other less controversial ones like the example of Mr. McCovey. Next on the podcast, I look forward to discussing other important legal issues of our time, including the exercise of emergency power by state officials and and local leaders, such as our Governor Greg Abbott and our county judges in Texas. The emergency has now gone on for several months as a result of COVID-19. That's a long declaration, and exploring that raises some interesting questions about the structure of our government and the separation of powers. You can follow this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. I appreciate it, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon here on Coal Mind.